I want you to go with me, if you would. And, and I'm going to use a scripture that when Brother Chris brought this scripture the other day, it's uh, 1 John, the fifth chapter, first verse. <coughs> it liked to knock my spiritual socks off. And it's a complete different direction than the way he was going with uh, where he was teaching Wednesday night. But this verse, sometimes God just illuminates something to your, to your uh, spirit. And uh, you might have read it half a dozen times. And it never really just like leaped out to you and then all at once the Lord had just caused that to. So this is what happened with this verse the other day. Um, and I want to talk about this. this I'm going to call it this. There's three matters of begotten. Of begotten. So I want you to read that um, first verse, fifth chapter of First John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born, uses that root word, genomai, has been born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begats, using the same root word, everyone who loves him who begats also loves the one who has begotten him, who has been born of him. And so this just what leaped out to me is three matters of begotten. Three things we need to know, we need to know about begotten. And so we're going to try and do that this morning. Everybody say amen. Jesus, Lord, we ask you at the reading of your word. Lord, I don't claim to be anything powerful, mighty, persuasive, but I do claim that your word is. Your word is alive. That's why it can leap out to us. Lord, it's alive, quick, and powerful, and sharp. It divides. We need division in our life, Lord, and it divides soul and spirit, suke and numa. It divides the intents of a man's heart. And I pray, Lord, this morning you'll do just that with your word that is alive. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. The begats in the Bible. When we uh, used to, a few times, we had a broke down a schedule to read the Bible in a year. Everybody remember that? And so we had it all. You read uh, so many Old Testament, and then you read some New Testament. And then as the year goes on, and, and, and uh, if you stayed on that, you would finish the Bible by the end of the year. And we all did that, I don't know, I think several times. And I know that probably everyone here has read the Bible through. If you haven't, it's probably a good idea. That's the book you're living by. So probably might be a good idea to read it through at some point. <clears throat> and you get over there in the book of Genesis and you hit the begats. And uh, wow, it's going to take you more than a day. You're going to be a couple of days if you're reading through the Bible, you know, on that schedule. You're going to be a little while on the begats. And somebody said, I don't like all that. Man, can't we just, you know, skip that? We'll go on. No, well, there's a reason why it's in there. Uh, do you believe that God wastes space? I don't think he does, but there's a reason why it's in there. This, it's necessary for the Jewish people to trace their genealogy. And so God put it all in there for purpose. And you'll find those begats throughout the Bible in different places, and, and, uh, but especially in... in uh, and then around Noah, we needed to find out where Noah came from, so we got the begat, the begat, the begat. And then also, I believe God put it in there so that we would know the time of human existence. We can trace how old mankind is by the begats. This one lived so long, and then they had, he begat a son. And then that son lived so long, and he begat a son. And, and down, you can start, you know, get out your, get out your little calculator and start adding them up. 
We talked about 6,000 years of men. Does anybody remember that? It was kind of interesting. The name of the uh, sermon that I had was What If. I, didn't, I wasn't saying this is exactly what's going to happen, but what if? Because the 6,000 years of man is closing in. <clears throat> if you believe 1,000 years for a day, creation, you know, it just, it is conjecture. We don't know. The Lord didn't say that definitely, but I'm telling you what, this world is going nuts. In the last, let's just say 10 years, things are happening. We would have said that can't happen here, and it is. But anyway, so for the tracing of the genealogies, for the, uh, the timeline of human existence, <coughs> we get the begats. Matthew in the New Testament now, he starts out with the begats. And it is to prove that Yeshua, Jesus, is the rightful ownership of kingship down through David, through his father, uh, Joseph. And uh, we know the term father there is that he is that one who assumed the fathership over that boy, even though he was not his natural father. We understand that. And Luke Luke puts that clearly that they suppose that Joseph was his father. And so Luke talks about Miriam's side or Mary. We got the word Mary from, don't be, don't be upset if I say Miriam because we got the word Mary from the Catholic Church. The Greek word is Miriam. So if I say Miriam, you know, I'm just trying, Yeshua. No, we want to go with Jesus and Mary. It's a little more Catholic. Well, yeah, either way. But anyway, Matthew uses the begats to get, to connect Jesus as rightful king. And then Luke shows Miriam as being in the lineage of David and also that Miriam is in the connection with the, the high priesthood. And she is a, a daughter, at least her mother, is, is a daughter of the high priesthood. And so they use those because, now the Jewish people love to know where they came from. You and I, it's not so important. So look at the Gentiles and, okay, what are you? Well, I'm Scottish, I, you know, but we had one ancestor that came over. He was German. And so we've got Scottish, we've got German, we've got, oh, when they got here, we got Indian. So now we've got Indian, Scottish, German. And I'm sorry, I can't trace them all. And it doesn't, it seems like, you know, that most of us, I'm going to say everybody here, you can't probably go back too far because it gets kind of cloudy. And, but the Jewish person, the validation of their life was to know the begats. They knew exactly where they came from, their lineage, all the way back to Abraham. That's what they did. And they were tight with this. It meant so much to them. It, 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 what it did was give them validation as, number one, a Jew, and as being in a clean race. It wasn't clouded with Indian blood, and, you know, they were clean and whole, and they knew who their father Abraham was, and they started this stuff with John the Baptist. And I like what John the Baptist said. He said, God is able to raise up uh, or of these stones... Let me start over. God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. That's how important it is to God. I know it's important to you. You think you're children of Abraham, and you think you're in a clean line, and you think you've got right because you can trace your lineage. <coughs> but God's able to raise up children out of these pebbles that are laying here on the ground. What do you think about that? How do you like me now? And uh, they really didn't, right? Amen. So, John writes his gospel, and we're going to deal in John again. <clears throat> John writes his gospel um, under the same inspiration as, as, as Matthew, Luke, and Mark. But John is going to go a complete different direction. He is not going to deal with the genealogies of men. He's going to deal with a different genealogy. And so with, 
with Matthew. We, we understand the genealogy of Jesus, and, and that's beautiful. And we're going to call that on his mother's side, right? We'll do that again on his mother's side. He's got all the genealogies are fixed in place. He can trace back his lineage because Matthew's going to help him. He can trace it all the way back to Abraham. Know who his mother is. We know who his father Joseph come down through the king line. We got all that. But John fails to do the begats, but it's on purpose because he is not tracing the lineage of his mother's side. He's not tracing the earthly lineage. He is going to talk about the spiritual lineage of God. I think a lot of the church, a lot of the time, is so mixed up in the fleshly thing that we don't see, we don't catch what God is doing in the spirit. It seems to me that if it's that important, then you and I are on the out. That's why I love what we call the Gentile church. Don't care who you are. Doesn't matter who your father and mother is. Doesn't matter if you ha- even know who they are. It doesn't matter if you're an orphan. Doesn't matter if you've got the highest educated people or the lowest. In Christ Jesus, there is no favor in genealogy. Can you say amen? And so God's not working through our genealogy. It's just not. That's a fleshly thing. You might want to know all those things, but, but God's not working in that. And so John, when he begins to write his writings in his, in his gospel and in his epistles, he will never even mention the name of Mary or Miriam. That seems kind of crazy because Jesus on the cross looks at John, looks at his mother, and says, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. (coughs) He commissions the care of his mother. He's a dying man, and he commissions the care of his mother to his good friend and disciple, John, who will be an apostle. And John doesn't even mention her name in his writings. I don't think he's trying to discredit her. I just don't think he's dealing with that kind of genealogy. I think he's going another direction. And so we begin to see that there's something about begotten that's greater than the earthly begotten. Can you say an amen there? And because uh, John writes not about an earthly physical reproduction, but something that is produced beyond the natural, what we like to call supernatural. Anybody ever watch uh, Sid Roth? Sid Roth Supernatural, you ever see that? He's on TV. Don't waste your time. It's foolishness. I'll go over there once in a while and just just to see how foolish it is. And it's really foolish. But what he's got as supernatural is just all these effects of things that are happening, weird things that are happening, and, and all kinds of psycho-prophecy and all kind of stuff that's going on. And, and to him, that's supernatural. But this morning, we're just going to bring it down to the level of really the comparison of natural and supernatural in begotten, because I think that's what God is trying to show us in a thing here. And so... John says it this way in in his gospel, in the first chapter, 13th verse, he said, This birthing is not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we can stand here all day and try and appease the flesh. We can go home happy, having been to church, haven't enjoyed ourselves, stopped by the restaurant on the way home, and when we get home, we just hit that recliner, everything is so good. But God wants to do something that's supernatural in our life. And sometimes we're not ready for that. I'm ready for just God, just, just, just do more of what I already have. I like what I've got, just give me a bigger portion, right? Just cut me a bigger piece of the pie and everything's going to be good. And the Lord's saying, no, I'm going to pull the pie out and put a different pie in. I'm doing something different in your life. Supernatural. Not by the will of man, 
This thing is not done by your will. It's not done by the will of big preachers. It's not done by the will of big churches. It's not done by the will of what we think might should be in the kingdom of God. But it's done of God. Anything done in the kingdom is birth of God. And so we have these three matters in John, 1 John, the 5th chapter. So let's look at those for a little bit. We'll break those down a little bit. The first one, in order to produce or reproduce or birth or begat, there has to be one who is the begatter. Again, we need to take it out of the physical, take it to the spiritual. There is one who is the source of all things. I don't believe in pantheism. I don't believe that God is dwelling in trees and in ponds and in buildings. I, I don't believe that. But I do believe that he is the source of all things living. Can you say amen to that? If you don't believe in the beginning God, and that's the first verse, and you don't believe that verse, shut your Bible and go do something else. Because this is the essence of everything. God is the progenitor of all things. There isn't anything that was made that he did not make. And we believe that as Christian people. But Yahweh God, this eternal self existing one is the source of all life past and present and future we've got little Braxton with us this morning (coughs) little Braxton just days ago sucked in his first breath of air I want you to know that wasn't a mistake That wasn't just something that comes along just by natural means, but God breathed in because God is the giver of life. God is pro-life because He gives life. So everything starts somewhere. Can you say amen to that? Everything starts somewhere. If you don't have a begatter, then nothing can be begotten. It has to have a source. It has to have a start. And so God is that start or that source of everything that we know as life. We take life as though it belongs to us. Your life, the scripture, was the scripture say? Your life is not your own. You have been bought with a price. It's not for your pleasure who you are. But for His pleasure, we have been created. Well, that message doesn't go over very good with the present church because that's not what's being preached. What's being taught is that God wants to give you pleasure instead of you giving God pleasure. And so we believe that being the source, being the, being, being the, the one who is the progenitor of all things, <coughs> it is for His pleasure. Amen. So in the scripture, Yahweh God is addressed as Father. Can you just say Father with me? See, you can't be called a Father unless you have begotten. Unless you are a begatter, there is no fatherhood. Poor Abraham, God gave him a promise, you're going to be the father of, of a nation that is so big that if you go out to count the sands of the sea, you can't even count it. If you look at the sky and see the stars in the, in the heavens, you can't count as big as your seed is going to be. And he's standing there without a child. <coughs> he's not a father. He's going to be a father. But Abraham doesn't have a nation until he's a father, until he begats, Right? And so is God the Father. These terms used in the New Testament, Father, our Father, Heavenly Father, even by Jesus Himself uses these terms that my Father, 
And what those terms mean, what do they mean? They don't mean that there's a, a, a person somewhere in heaven named Father. That's who he is, the begator, the one that begins life. And so he is called Father, our Father, my Father, which art in him, Heavenly Father. But Yahweh doesn't hold a Godhead title in heaven that would designate his fathership from the other parts of who he is. There is only one God. Can everybody say amen? There's just one God. Part of him is called Father. Part of him is called Son. No, 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 no. No. God is the Father. Oh, he is the Father. And say he's, he's a Father. He's a Son. He could be exactly what he wants to be, but he is Father because he is the one who makes everything. He's the progenitor. He is, the Greek says he is ton Santa, which means the one who does begat. And unlike the natural realm, what God begats in the spirit does not separate from him and become its own entity. What God begats spiritually remains his. And this is a concept <laughs> that if we're going to look at matter two, that we have to we have to add with it. The matter two is the monogenes, the only begotten of the Father. So sometimes you know I kind of get confused, you know, because because the, the Bible kind of reads like there's different persons and and different. I, I just want to reassure you that that God is the Father. Secondly, He begat, which makes Him the Father. And according to John, you can't love the begatter and not love the one who is begotten. Because it's impossible to separate that. Separate the begatter from what he begot. It's part of him. It's who he is. And so this idea that, that I can love Jesus, but, but I don't love the one who is begotten, or I can be, love the begotten one, now, I can love the begatter, but I don't love the one who is begotten. They don't separate. You can't. John says you can't separate them. If you love the Father, you love the Son. There's no way to say I'm going to love one and not the other. It just can't happen because, because the Father, He begats. And what He begats, He begats the only begotten. And the only begotten comes out of, from, within God. It didn't come from Mary. didn't come from Joseph. came out of God. And you think about this process now. All of our children are out of here. And, and so, you know, I don't want to say anything that, that would sound wrong. But this is what God designed in birth. The begatter. Something comes out. Of the one who begats. And we see this but transpose it into the spiritual. Christ comes out. From within God. He's not standing by God in heaven somewhere. And God looks over to him and says it's time. Go down now. Go down. No by the spirit. There's no sexual act here, but by the Spirit, God takes what's within him and plants it in the womb of Mary so that what's in Mary is, is the Holy One. Can you say, the Son of the Most High. That Son didn't come out of heaven. That Son came out of from within God. So now we have this one who is called, and I love this, John calls him the only begotten. Would you say with me only? He's the only one to use this term. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't use this term. They're talking about the natural thing, the natural heritage, the natural begotten. 
John gets to it. He said, I want to tell you about the only begotten. And this only begotten, it's the only one who came out of, from, within God. Delivered into Mary's womb. The, the uniting somehow of the power of God with the seed of woman. And, and what came forth was a man who was a whole man, but he was our Lord, God, Savior at the same time. Can you say man? The scripture right there in John 5, it just says that Jesus Christ came out of from within God, has been born. God was manifested in flesh, still God, yet a man. Miriam had her firstborn, but then she had other children. Don't fall into the lie of the perpetual virgin. That's a lie. How do you know, Pastor? How do you know that Joseph didn't have those children before he married uh, Mary, and so he just brought his family together with Mary, and she was, you know, had the Christ, and, and he was, she was a perpetual virgin because the Scripture said, and he did not know her until after she bore the firstborn. Why would it say that? Because he did know her after that. Everybody okay? You know, like I said, children are not in here, so they don't have to deal with this. Every one of you here should know this and deal with this. And, and so Matthew records that the firstborn of Mary, that's a good title, the firstborn, but, but Paul will take it further than that when he says he is, he is the firstborn, the prototype. He's the one that God hatched out in his own mind what would happen way down later, and he came to be that firstborn of God. So Yeshua, Jesus, is God's only son. Satan is not God's son. The LDS church believes that they are brothers. No, they're not brothers. They're not brothers because they don't have the same father. Your, your brothers, you can be brothers by a mother or you can be brothers by a father, but, but Satan and the Lord are not connected. There is only one begotten of God. He did it one time. He'll never do it again as far as we know. You know I can't say what God would, but as far as we know in Scripture, it was one time, one event, one thing, one happening, or one birth at one point. In which God said, this is my beloved son. That's it. Over. Done. Finished. And God had one child. And his name is Yeshua. And so, all things have been created because of him. And for him. And he is before all things. And all things consist... In him, what a son. One can't distinguish him apart from his father. Because all things were made by him. And through him. And because of him. And he is the firstborn of all creation. You can't distinguish him from the father. And for good reason. Because the son... It's the Father incarnate. And we're going to stay with that in this church. Everybody say amen right there. I don't have an argument with people. I don't have an argument with, with other you know, doctrines and ideas. They do anything they want to do. But at this pulpit, what we're going to preach is that the only begotten Son is the image of the invisible Father. Amen. And we love Him. And if you love Him, you love Him who begot Him. Amen. This son that houses the fullness of the godness. Or that the father reveals himself in the son. 
same divinity, same hypostasis, and they go under the same name. This is how close father and son are. They go under one name because they are the one and same person, figuratively and in reality. And they acted by begatting. You have the son, you have the father. The begatter and the one who was begotten are the same person. You say, how can that be? Okay, we'll go back to Mary. That's the same thing she said. How can this be? Seeing that I don't know a man. No, what you don't understand, this isn't about physical. This is about supernatural. And so what God does in the supernatural, there's a comparison there. There's a lookalike there. But what God does in the supernatural is beyond what's done in the physical and natural. Amen. Now I want to go to the third matter. And the third matter is this. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, and that's everybody in this house right here this morning. There is none righteous, no, not one. Don't act like you haven't sinned. Don't act like you haven't. You needed to, didn't need to get saved. Yes, you did. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But you were dead in sins, but he has brought you to life. And those who were dead now are alive. There's something happened in this third matter uh, the one who loves the begotten and the begotter, John says, that one is begotten of God. Now, let me step back. None of us now have come out of from within God. There's just one, right? The only begotten. But those who love the Lord, love the begotter and the begotten, they... In God's realm, in God's eyes, in God's determination, they have been begotten of Him. Oh, that's beautiful. See, we've heard the word servants. We know what it is, servant to be a servant. A disciple to be grafted in, to be adopted as children. You've read all those terms in the Bible. Believers, followers, and so on and so on. But this is different. This is an actual birth. And so now I'm going to get down somewhere. I've set this foundation, and I've got to get down somewhere for us. This is an event in your life. This is not joining church. This is not reading a Bible. This is not getting down to pray. This is an event of birth. It's not a religious adjustment. It's not go to church and find something else about the Bible. I want to talk about being birthed into the kingdom of God. Now, I know everybody's, you know, you're sleepy, you're tired, and, and the devil, he's not too... Brother Dave Marshall used to say, the devil's never too busy to rock the cradle of the sleepy Christian. So wake yourself up right now because you need to hear this. This thing about begotten, it's different than religion. It's different than Christendom. It's different than being rich. There's people all over this country that call the Bible Belt here. and There's just people that are just so religious about being Christianity and going to church. And I appreciate that they go to church. They're sure not going to get anything at home. But the Lord starts his ministry with John again. He starts his ministry. An educated man comes out to him. A man who is a ruler. He is part of the Sanhedrin that comes to Jesus. He knows all there is to know about Jewry. And comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, You won't see the kingdom of God unless you are birthed from above. We take that and transform because King James did to being born again. And now that word is in the New Testament also. But it really here is Jesus is saying, unless you're birthed from above. And then he begins to talk about the spirit. You're birthed in the flesh. 
But if you're not birthed in the Spirit, you'll never see the kingdom of God. This is one of the reasons why the kingdom of God is all kinds of things to all people because they have never seen the kingdom of God because they have never been born again. You got preachers all over this country that are not born again. They're believers. They're followers. Even some of them are disciples, but they're not born again. Because this thing about born again is not joining the club. It's not saying a prayer. It's an event that God does by His Spirit into your heart to change you, to bring you to life in Jesus Christ. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and now He's going to aliven you. He will wake up the spiritual man, and you will begin to follow Him. Not because it's in the Bible, but because it's in your spirit. And the church is failing the born-again experience. The born-again experience isn't raise your hand and repeat a prayer after me. That's foolish. <coughs> Jesus could have told that very quickly to Nicodemus. Raise your right hand, Nicodemus. Put your left hand on the Bible and swear after me. That's not what God is after. It's not what God is after. You must be born again. Jesus brings it so close to the natural realm that Nicodemus is confused about it. And he's all thinking natural, right? Should I go? I have to go back into my mother's womb? What am I going to do? I don't know how to do this. That which is of the flesh is of the flesh. That which is of the spirit is of the spirit. And so there is this experience that God is going to do in the human life. And I, I want you to listen closely to, closely to me now. If the Lord would compare the natural birth to the spiritual birth, then we need to compare the spiritual birth to the natural birth. A seed is sown into a womb. This is the only way that you can bear a child. Okay, science, let's see. Science has got men bearing child. That's retarded. It's just pure retarded. Let's just call it what it is. It's, these people are morons. They're so smart, they're stupid. A seed is sown into a womb is how begat happens. Everybody okay? Amen? The Word of God is sown into an open heart is the only way that this born-again experience can begin. Somebody said, well, people are getting saved. Billy Graham says, I hate this. People are getting saved, don't even know the name of Jesus. No, they're not. That name has to be sowed into the womb of your heart. This is why Paul said, if you believe in your heart, well, if it's not in your heart, you can't believe in your heart. It has to be sown in your heart. And so this seed in a fertile womb begins this thing that we call conception. Conception is what? Is that the womb has received the seed, <coughs> and the fertilization then of what is in that womb begins to take place. This is the Word of God going into your heart. I'm going to tell you this. You will never conceive in the Spirit until the Word of God gets in your heart. You can try it by all the churchanity stuff. You can try it by every rigmarole, and it will never happen. What you'll do is you'll just take a vacation from sin. That's what you're going to do. We used to deal with this with people, and we have them come into discipleship, and, and we would say, I would say of some of them, I'd say, Rodney, 
Nope, they're just taking a vacation from sin. They're going right back to it because nothing happened in their heart. We can preach to you and preach to you and preach to you, and if something doesn't happen in your heart, you're just taking a vacation from sin. Like the one stupid woman said, I'm going to take some time off from God now and do some of my things. She didn't need to take on time off from God. She never had time with God. I've wondered about this. I said, Lord, what does this mean? Those that are born of God, have you ever read this? Those that are born of God cannot sin because the seed of God lives in them. I said, oh, man. How powerful is this thing that happens in our life? See, I can see you for all who you are. And I can see your good works, and I can see, you know, all the nice things that you're doing. But I cannot see into your heart. And somebody said, how many converts have you had this year? My, my answer is always, I don't know. Because something has to transpire. There has to be a conception of the Word of God. It's got to hit your heart somehow, somewhere in that open, fertile mind and heart of yours that the Word of God comes in, the seed of the Word of God begins to do some conception inside of your life. Then I believe there is a gestation period. I'm a crazy preacher. I don't believe in the raise your hand, get saved thing. Oh, if you'll just please, oh, just, oh, come and get saved, please. Oh, I just, you, no, 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 no. No, I'm not begging anybody. Because if I save them, I'm going to have to keep them saved. And I'm too tired to do that. But if something happens in your heart, I don't have to tell you to serve Jesus. I don't have to tell you to go to church when the doors are. I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to beg you to give money. I don't have to do any of that stuff. Because something has been birthed inside of you that says, I love my Lord more than anything else. Can you say amen? We'll be okay. I'm not, we might have to stand up and do jumping jacks. We've got to get this. This is, this is powerful. This is powerful right here. Because until a transformation takes place in your life, in your heart, you can change the outside. Man, I see it in the holiness movement, right? We like to get on to the holiness movement. And, and the good reason why is because they clean the outside of the cup and the inside is not clean. Yet this week, another revelation of another holiness preacher who is filthy inside. Filthy. Is not born again has not been born again. If you're born again, you don't take the mic after you've been laying around with women in the church and preach an astounding message to the people. You're not born again. You're churchy. You've got all that business. It's just what's happened in your life. You're not born again. Oh, your wife's not wearing pants. And she really looks ugly the way you got her made up. You're not born again. Neither is she. Everybody okay? We're having a good time this morning. We're going to get right down to the core of it. And this is where it's at. You must be born again. All these preachers you see on TV, they're not born again. That's the problem. They're out there for money. They're out there for crowds. They're not seeing the kingdom of God. You know why they're not seeing the kingdom of God? They're not born from above. So shock. Shock and awe to the kingdom when somebody, we just thought they were so great, man, they just look like they're doing all kinds of things for God, and they're just a piece of filth. I'm a little sick of it. I'm going to call it out here. Because if your heart hasn't been changed, forget it. Oh, hey, man, you should be shouting by now. That's really good stuff. So this gestation period, you know, <coughs> Mandy's not in here, but I'm going to have to use Dara. Dara, you're getting awful big there. You know, it's what it's supposed to be. 
There's a child being formed in there. Paul says, I, I travail in spirit until Christ be formed in you. The immediate conversion has me skeptical. I've seen too many of them. I've prayed with too many of them. Tears rolling down, immediate conversion. I've given my life to Jesus. But the problem is, there's no gestation time. There's no, no considering the cost. There is no, there is no uh, um, question of what I'm going to do next. And, and am I willing to turn my life over to Christ and live for Him? It's just, I feel bad about my sin. Pastor, pray for me that I can get rid of my sin because I just want to know that I'm going to heaven. I'm not talking about going to heaven this morning. I'm talking about new birth in Jesus Christ. Heaven is just a side effect of what happens because you're following the one, the God of heaven. You're following the one who created the heavens. Well, you better pray tonight before you go to bed so you know you're going to wake. If you don't wake up, you'll be in heaven. Where did Jesus say that? You're either birthed or you're not. There's no like maybe, sort of, kind of, little. I'm birthed a little bit. You know what we call those? Premies. Premature babies. They got all kinds of problems. And we love them, even though, you know, some of you have had children that are a little bit premature, and, and then we've had people that have had real, you know, didn't go nearly a long enough term, got problems with their hearts and lungs and all kinds of things. And I'm going to tell you something. If you get out, if you get out of that womb before you're supposed to get out of that womb, you are a preemie. You're going to have problems in your Christian life. You are going to have problems serving God. There's going to be problems in your hearts. There's going to be problems in your lungs. There's going to be problems in your development. There's going to be problems in your mind. Because this thing is not about a race. See who can get on board. We're running the merry-go-round. How many kids want to get on board? This thing is a birthing that has to happen in your life. And it's not an instantaneous one blast. It is a birth and a life that you're going to live in Christ Jesus. That inception takes place in us. The scary thing is you can go to church all your life and never be born again. You can go to the heights of churchanity. They can put you in as youth leader and then maybe as pastor. <coughs> Beyond that, you can go to the heights of, of organization, denominational top. I know a preacher that's so vile, has not and is not born again. So vile, some of you know him, he left his home, left his family, took another woman, married her, went up, started another church, and that's not good enough. They put him in as presbyter over their denomination. They've got a guy in there who does not know the Lord. I'm sorry that I have to call it out that way, but if you're born again, you don't leave a trail of debauchery in your life. Because he that's birthed from above doesn't sin. Come on, say amen. Boy, he can't want to. Let me tell you the difference right now. You got enough time? We got 20 minutes. Let me tell you the difference between he who does not sin and he who does. I want you to look at David for a minute. This is a great example of spiritual and physical. David is where he should not be, right? He's in a place where he should not see. And knowingly, he begins to see. And it feels good to his flesh. And what sin does, it takes you further, right? It's not enough. Oh, I shouldn't have saw that. What am I doing up here? Hey, captain of the guard, get my stuff. I'm going out to war. I shouldn't be here. The kings are at war. I should be out there. No. Now he's begun to feed the flesh. And once he begins to feed the flesh, the flesh begins to take over. Somebody say amen. 
And though David is not a born-again man, he yet, he loves God. He's committed in his heart to God. The scripture said about him, he was righteous and followed the Lord except in this one thing. Now I'm going to show you the difference between what David did and what a lot of people do. (coughs) David was not a wicked man. David loved God, but he fell in a place and he should not have been there and he should not have done what he did. It was awful what he did. But then he falls on his face and he cries out to God saying, don't take me away. Don't cast, don't cast me not away, O Lord. Take not your presence from me. I have sinned and I've sinned before you alone, God. <coughs> Men in this day, want to have the same problems and cover them up because they're not birthed from above. And when I say the Scripture says that you won't sin because you are birthed from above, begotten of God, I think this is just my rendition of this. You're not going out to look to sin. You're not... You're not trying to be a sinner. You don't want, if something happened in your life and you didn't want that to happen, but, but you are so sorrowful for it that you're on your face crying out to God, don't take your presence from me. Oh Lord, cast me not away. Don't make me one of them. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. That is the birthing of God in your heart. What would make you do that is that you know in your heart you have disappointed God that you have sinned before Him and it broke your heart. But on the other hand, those that sin and cover are not birthed from above. How are we doing? Everybody happy? Say amen. And so, real Christians. We know a lot of revivalist preachers. Man, they got a lot of invitations and they're going a lot of places. And I told Kay the other day, I've got one more ready. When you get too high, you're out of the kingdom now. You're too high, you're going to fall. Just the way it's going to work. If you're not birthed from, and if you are birthed from above, Paul said, I buffet myself. I watch this guy. Come on, somebody say amen. I'll watch this guy. In fact, the word buffet even means to slug yourself in the eye, get slugged in the eye. If, if that's what it takes. Well, Jesus said a crazy thing, huh? If, you'd, if you, you'd be better to go cut your hand off than to go into hell. You'd be better to pluck your eye out. Oh, Lord, certainly don't mean that. Yeah, it's that important. It's that important. Man, if you can't keep from going to the bar, go down and have them amputate your legs. I didn't say that. Jesus did. But pray God we can, right? Pray God, hey, that thing that's in me, that born-again Spirit of God, sure, sometimes, you know, I may, I may not listen. I may have some little areas in my life that, that God's working. I'm not complete in everything. But I'm going to tell you something. The seed of God is in my heart. I've come to too many places in my life where everything failed before me. My friends, my preachers, my pastors, everything fell in my life. And I stood there and said, God, I'm still going to trust you because this thing is in my heart. Somebody doesn't have to grab me up and say, come on, serve the Lord, come on. Because when it's in your heart, it's in your heart. Can you say amen? Bless God. This is good stuff. They came to Jesus weary, worn, and sad. He took their sins away. But let's don't end the song there. He birthed them by his spirit. I'm not looking for God to just take sins away out of this place. I'm looking for him to birth us. By his spirit, amen. Galatians 2.20 sums it up. And then uh, I've got written down here lastly. I don't know if that means anything, but. <clears throat> Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Only a born, a man, born again man can say this. I'm crucified with Christ and yet I live. Yet not I. But Christ lives in me. We have the natural and the spiritual. Living in the same body. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith or in the faith of the Son of God, the begotten one. 
who loved me and gave himself on my behalf. If you don't know another scripture in the Bible, that one right there should sum up the Christian life. I'm crucified with Christ Jesus. I identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection. But I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. Are you perfect? I don't know anybody that's perfect. But I know some people that Christ live in them. I'm not talking about joining church religion and doing good stuff. And I get tired of hearing this thing. How's so-and-so doing? Oh, they're doing good. I don't want to know they're doing good. I'm crucified in Christ and now I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. If he doesn't live in me, I will follow the work of the flesh. This birthing has to take place inside of my spirit. So lastly, I'm going to compare a, a fleshly thing now. So are you ready for this one? This, one, this one's kind of a stretch. <coughs> one six seven seven five South forty two twenty. I always say forty two forty two twenty road was a drunkard. A reviler. A partier. Nothing good was happening. Debauchery. Evil things, fornication things, adultery, mess. But something happened. The Rogers Event Center, which was ungodly, something happened. So this is, this is the stretch. Thanks be unto God, it came under new ownership. A transformation has taken place. A reformation has taken place, and this thing is going to be granted a new life. And the life which it now is going to live is going to be by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself over us. And so the transformation of what happens here, I believe it's almost just could look like what happens in our spirit. God Nothing dwelled here but rottenness. And what's going to dwell here now is the Spirit of God. And I believe this. I'm going forward in this. I believe this with all my heart that they named it right, the event center, because I want the events of God to happen in this place now. I want there to be changes in people's life. I want there to be an event of the born-again experience of Jesus Christ. To people who are hungry and thirsty and want their life changed by the power of Jesus to come to this place and see an event happen in your life. And if that event doesn't happen, then we failed. We could pack this place out. And we said the other day, oh, we could put about 400 in here. Yeah, we've got plenty of room this morning. But, but if we could get 400 in here, and people are not being transformed and born again. We are wasting God's good time. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? <coughs> now, Lord, this I could not preach something stronger than this. Because most of us have been conditioned to believe that it's enough to just love you. And if we just love God and love people, everything's good. But Lord, you announced your kingdom right off, just right at the first. We must be born again. So I pray right now, Lord, I know that in this building right now, there are people who are not sure of their faith. There are people who are in the time of conception, your word is touching. And then, Lord, there are people who are in the process of being birthed. And, Lord, we just ask you right now, God, we can't start on other people until we start on our own right now. And I ask you, Lord, I ask you, Lord, that these determinations... And people's lives will be made 
Lord, that people be sincere about their life in you. It is a life and death matter. And so, Lord, we ask you for that sincerity. We ask you to break out and touch, Lord, right now. Touch our heart right now, Lord. Touch our heart right now, Lord. May we never again be the same. We thank you, Jesus.